Hello, I'm Mark Sweeney, and in this episode of ITG, I'm back with another contribution to hashtag best event ever, an annual tradition I've been participating in with a few like-minded comics bloggers and podcasters who've gotten together the past three years to take a look at one of DC Comics' crossover epics. Bloodlines and Eclipso, The Darkness Within, have so far gotten the B.E.E. treatment, and this year it's Underworld Unleashed's turn. Underworld Unleashed was DC's big early autumn crossover in 1995, and it was overall a big showcase for the villains of the DCU, which took place in three oversized issues of a core miniseries, and in 40-plus tie-ins throughout the DC line. Basic premise is a new-on-the-scene big bad, Neron, buff, tough, and rough, as introduced in the first issue of the mini, breaks dozens of supervillains out of prison and attracts dozens more with magic candles to his base of operations, a dark, expansive, cave-like space, befitting the lord of the underrealm that Neron portrays himself to be. There he extends an offer, greater power in exchange for, yes, their soul, but also a little of their time. Neron's looking to send a tidal wave of supervillainy over the Earth, for reasons early on that he keeps pretty much to himself. That wave of villainy is played out, for the most part, in the dozens of tie-ins, where in a very Marvel's Acts of vengeance kind of way, some interesting matchups take place between the heroes and villains of the DCU. Contests like Ted Knight, the Golden Age Starman versus old Batman foe Dr. Phosphorus, or the Flash and Captain Marvel versus Hawkman villain The Shadow Thief. These, among many others, play out over the course of the many tie-ins. My task this time out is to recap and comment on issue number two of the core miniseries, but uh, before we get into that, I just want to encourage you to check out the other Underworld Reunleashed contributions, which will include episode from Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill podcast, Chris's Chris is on Infinite Earth's blog, Professor Allen has put out a Relatively Geeky Presents podcast episode, Karen of the Between the Pages blog will be posting for this on The Retroist, check out Justice Trek the podcast. Comic Reviews by Walt, Justice's First Dawn, Al Sedano on his podcast Resurrections and Adam Warlock Thanos podcast, and also Pop Culture Palace Presents, and Diablo Frank will have some coverage on the Idlehead of Diablo and the Diana Prince Wonder Woman shows. There will be links to these fine folks and their work on the blog post accompanying this episode. You can find that at itgblogcast.blogspot.com. You can always follow the social media hashtags best event ever, and I'll also be using one called Underworld Reunleashed on both Twitter and Instagram. Okay, in issue number two of Underworld Unleashed, cover dated early December 1995, one would find the story entitled The Devil to Pay by the creative team of writer Mark Wade. Penciler Howard Porter, inker Dennis Jenke, the letters are by Chris Eliopoulos, colors are by Rick Taylor and Heroic Age, and it was edited by the three-headed monster of Alessandro Morales, Ruben Diaz, and Brian Augustine. Covers by Howard Porter and Dan Green, 
Uh, there's no color credit for the cover, and that's too bad, as color is a significant feature on the covers of this miniseries. The illustration depicts a scene you won't find in the issue, necessarily, the demon Neron physically confronting several of the top heroes of the DCU, Batman, Wonder Woman, The Flash, Green Lantern, Captain Marvel, The Ray, and Blue Devil. This is more a metaphorical image representing the contents of the issue where Neron does engage with a couple of these characters one-on-one, but in all but one case, it's less physically brutal. Psychically, emotionally, that's another matter. But this cover has a bunch of that bright neon green color that has become emblematic of this series. Each issue of the mini has an increasing amount of this colored ink, which represents Neron's particular brand of hellfire, as the situation becomes more and more dire for our heroes. From the first issue, you see the color in pretty much only the logo and the issue number. On this second issue's cover, it's the logo and the energy Neron's using to strangle Green Lantern and punch out the ray. And by the third issue's cover, a group of heroes is practically engulfed in that radioactive-looking green flame. Over the course of the series, it's a pretty successful visual barometer of the Neuron's, Neuron's threat level. The action in issue number two here follows up on the first wave of DC tie-ins and picks right up from the Justice League crossover with a conflicted Blue Devil, who was one of the first heroes to be approached by Neron. Blue Devil has accepted Neron's offer of fame and fortune in exchange for the destruction of a California power station. Dan Cassidy claims to himself that he's done his homework, he's checked things out, and discovered that this won't put anyone in the dark. Another station should be able to pick up the slack. And so this small act may be worth the success in store for not only himself, but his ambitious and well-meaning agent, Marla Bloom. After taking care of his end of the deal, something, maybe his conscience, stops Blue Devil from igniting his magic candle that would transport him into Neron's presence to report back. Speaking of Neron, in his cavernous base of operations in some undisclosed location, the muscle-bound Lord of the Underrealm, has some errands to run, so he leaves his inner circle of some of DC's baddest bads to their own devices. This round table of villainy includes Flash villain Abracadabra, Wonder Woman foe Circe, Lex Luthor, the Joker, those two usually oppose mainly you-know-who, and the guy I find most intriguing on this council, Dr. Polaris, who began his supervillain career as a Green Lantern villain, but who by the mid-90s, I think, had had gone up against pretty much everybody, making him an all-around good choice for Neron's core group. As you may be able to glean from his name, Polaris can do some pretty amazing things with magnetism, uh, but I think his real superpower is the ability to rock some pretty goofy headgear. When I first met the good doctor in one of the later issues of Crisis Infinite Earths, where I met about 75% of the DC Universe, he was sporting his Galactus rip-off arm wings akimbo headpiece 
Uh, but by the time of Underworld Unleashed, he's since adopted a kind of milk pale looking helmet with two gigantic arrows shooting off in opposite directions. Kind of absurd if I think about it too much now, but back then, I took it in stride. As this circle of villainy goes around the table, confessing what they've each received as part of Neron's deal, the Joker's is the most amusing, I think, claiming to have scored a box of Cuban cigars in exchange for his soul. Neron pops in on James Jesse, the trickster, who's been hanging out in Neron's HQ and has become a kind of a, a favorite of the demon. Neron asks Jesse to keep an eye on the council, going so far as to say, take care of them for me, before disappearing in a puff of that neon green ink. As soon as Neron departs, Luther, Joker, and the gang, a little leery of the special relationship Jesse has with their patron, scoop the trickster up. And when the Joker asks about the source of Neron's power, greasing the wheels a bit with a squirt from his acid-filled lapel flower, Jesse blurts out, The soul jar! Neron's power comes from the soul jar. And this soul jar is kind of just what it sounds like. It's a two-story tall glass-like jar full of neon green soul stuff. And a quick-thinking Lex Luthor claims to have a plan to crack it open. Meanwhile, Neron travels abroad to offer deals to some other super beings. But instead of villains this time out, Neron targets superheroes. First, he drops in on the Flash, who's dealing with citywide fires in St. Louis. Fires, riots, general mayhem. These things have popped up worldwide as a side effect of Neron's machinations. In a blazing tenement building, Wally runs into Neron himself, who offers for a price to resurrect Barry Allen. Now, this was at a point when Wally West still lamented the death of his mentor, not the other way around, as seems the case in more recent times. And earlier in his career, Wally may have bitten from this apple. But not the mature hero who'd headlined over a hundred issues of his own series at this point. Now, Neron doesn't seem too phased by the Flash's refusal, claiming that it's a purer soul than the flashes that he's after anyway. Hmm. Next, Neron pops up in the Batcave where he dredges up one of Batman's biggest hurts, the death of Jason Todd at the hands of the Joker. Neron cruelly, but seasonally, compares the sound of the caving in of Jason's skull to that of a smashed pumpkin. Neron claims to be able to rectify the situation of a young ward cut down before his time, but an obviously pained Batman balks without much arm-twisting from Neron. After Batman's rejection, the demon finds his way to Honolulu, the home of Superboy, where he guarantees the Kid of Steel the top spot in the hero community should Superman either die or retire. But that's kind of a lame deal which Connell doesn't have too much trouble refusing. 
Again, though, Neron doesn't seem to mind, claiming he's got his sights set on a much greater soul, and as he traces Superboy's S-shield with his finger, claims further that this great soul and Superboy have much in common, Red Herring Alert. There's next a two-page spread of Neron visiting other heroes of the DCU, many of these elaborated on in various tie-ins. Characters like Guy Gardner, Lobo, and Damage seem to refuse Neron's soul-for-heart's-desire bargain. But others, like Hawkman, the Ray, and the Spectre, accept. Another hero that accepted, Blue Devil, learns that a deal with the Devil isn't all it's cracked up to be. When he sees on the news that his agent Marla Bloom has died in a helicopter accident, an accident that wouldn't have happened if a certain power station in California had been around providing the lights for some electricity lines. The final hero Neron visits is Green Lantern, who is presented the possibility of a resurrected Alex, the girlfriend he'd lost to a supervillain early in his hero career. Kyle Rayner actually hesitates, wavers before Neron's offer, but then in a fit of anger tells Neron to shove it by way of a physical attack. And throughout their four-page, very green fight sequence, Neron explains a little bit about his recent attempt to corrupt heroes. He appreciates the challenge. Villains are too easy, but a hero who chooses his or her heart's desire over the cause of the greater good, that is a soul Neron finds worth feasting on. Green Lantern really takes a beating here, reminiscent of Neron's dismantling of the warlord Mongol in the first issue of this series. But Neron stops just short of killing GL here, though that wasn't the case with Mongol, and instead wants Kyle to act as a messenger. He's to make the hero community aware that Neron has his sights set on a noble soul that belongs to someone they know. Have you ever wanted to be more than you are? Are you worried your full potential isn't enough? Ever wonder finding that out is worth your soul? Best Event Ever is back for 2018 with DC's 1995 event, Underworld Unleashed. Several blogs and podcasts are coming together to examine the effects these questions have on the heroes and villains of the DC Universe. Join Justice's First Dawn, Comic Reviews by Walt, Chris and Reggie's Cosmic Treadmill, Pop Culture Palace, Diana Prince Wonder Woman, and Between the Pages, among others, as they examine the effects these questions have on characters like Ted Knight, Blue Devil, Sentinel, The Martian Manhunter, and Darkseid. Follow them all using hashtag BestEventEver2018 and hashtag UnderworldReUnleashed across social media all throughout October. Next, check in with the Villain Council, hard at work in Neron's nether realm. 
in their attempt to release all the soul magic trapped in the gigantic jar of souls. Abracadabra, Circe, and Dr. Polaris channel their energies at Luther's direction, as he is, apparently, feverishly making longhand calculations on a piece of parchment while the Joker leads cheer. Luther barks out a couple more adjustments, and finally the jar begins to crack, and then boom! The glass shatters and neon green energy is momentarily released, but something goes wrong. Cadabras, Circes, and Polaris's forms begin to twist and distort, and they're sucked into the soul jar along with the escaping energy. The jar seals itself up, and the villains are gone. Forever? Probably not. But for now, definitely. Luther and the Joker look at one another, uncertainly, and then exchange a huge high five. This was their plan all along. So whatever spoils were due Neron's inner council by scheme's end could now be divided only between these two. But as we've seen, deals with Neron don't always, don't ever go like you plan. Because as Luther and Joker yuck it up, we kind of zoom out to see their exchange witnessed in a fancy-looking snow globe kind of thing by James Jesse, the trickster. Now, whether Luther and the Joker are actually unwittingly trapped in this tiny prison under the watchful gaze of the trickster, or whether Jesse is watching them from another part of Neron's cave realm, that's unclear. Neron himself appears before Jesse and congratulates him on his handling of the council. After all, it was the trickster that spilled the beans about the soul jar, which led to the neutralization of the villain inner circle, seemingly done with Neron's own blessing. Neron leaves to gloat over his latest shenanigans, and fittingly, platonically, flickering on a cave wall, we get a glimpse of a shadow of a tentacled form, perhaps Neron's true form, while James Jesse is left to contemplate his next move. Meanwhile, in the Justice League satellite, a congress of heroes gathers to hear Green Lantern's tale of woe. We see characters from active series tie-ins like the lineup of Extreme Justice, Guy Gardner, Wonder Woman's there. Um, we also see a few crowd scene fillers without a home in the then-current DCU. Guys like Black Condor, The Atom, and I think that's Argus from Bloodlines, from the Bloodlines crossover in there too. The heroes discuss their next move, one thing they're in agreement about, the mysterious soul Neron covets. They're sure it belongs to Superman. Green Lantern thinks so. Superboy thinks so. Captain Marvel thinks so. And as Supes has been missing from Metropolis of late, Wonder Woman even suggests perhaps he's currently a prisoner held fast in Neron's clutches at this very moment. Guess she didn't know that Superman had actually been adventuring in deep space in his own series at the time. Captain Adam speaks up, does what Captain Adams do in DC events, starts giving orders. 
A group of heroes should stay topside, putting out the fires, riots, and chaos that have broken out worldwide. And another group should take the fight to Neron himself. The only question is, how do they get to him? Well, Blue Devil has an idea. He still has his unused magic candle. He lights it up and he can take a squad of heroes right to Neron's doorstep. So a group including Green Lantern, The Flash, Wonder Woman, Martian Manhunter, Captain Marvel, The Ray, Firestorm, Guy Gardner, and Captain Atom huddle around Blue Devil. He lights up his little torch and the group is engulfed in that familiar neon green and transported to hell to save the soul of Superman. And the action is picked up throughout the DC line in Underworld Unleashed number 3 and on various other blog posts and podcast episodes now out or soon to be out on the internet. I like this chapter of Underworld Unleashed. The plot moved right along and didn't seem hamstrung or burdened by goings-on in other series. That's one thing I really like about the this event in general. The way it was structured, each chapter could stand on its own, could be read, enjoyed, criticized on its own merits. Most of the essential information could be found in the core mini. Most of the heavy lifting plot-wise was done in issues like this one, and the oversized page count in this series was entirely justified. Neither of which can be said for some DC events, both before and after Underworld Unleashed. Mark Wade at the time was writing The Flash, so obviously had a good handle on Wally. But even knowing how good he is, I was impressed with the voice he gave to each character of such a large cast. Wade's interpretation of each character rang true, and there were a few moments that really stood out. The layered manipulation between Neron, the trickster, down through Luther, the Joker, and poor Circe and Dr. Polaris, who along with Abracadabra come off as very small and second-rate here. I have to say this surprises me a little bit considering how Wade and company went back to Abracadabra on several occasions, making him Wally's chief adversary both before and after Underworld Unleashed. And considering James Jesse's prominence in the story, the favor poured on him by Wade via Neron, and the depth of his character developed in no small part right here in this issue, as the breakout star of Underworld Unleashed, as far as I'm concerned. I'm a little surprised and disappointed that he didn't have a bigger role going forward in the DC or even in the Flash series. This was pretty early on in the career of penciler Howard Porter. I think he was an appropriate choice for an event series like this. Even back then, he had an obvious talent for drawing epic spectacle. The four-page battle between Neron and Green Lantern in this issue, specifically, would prefigure some of the cosmic-scale violence he tossed off on every other page in JLA a year or two after working on the series. And he's still knocking it out on occasion in The Flash. This is an issue I'd recommend seeking out. There's an uh, out-of-print trade collecting the Underworld Unleashed series. And it's available digitally, but the cover preview in Comixology and even the scans I've made myself suggest that the digital medium really 
just can't handle that neon green ink properly. And I'm an original issue kind of guy, so as usual I'm going to recommend tracking these down individually. In the meantime, I'll be putting up some of these Porter Dennis Janky images on the show's blog, itgblogcast.blogspot.com, where you'll also find uh, links to that other great Underworld Reunleashed content. So please check it out. And also, again, follow our look at this 23-year-old event. Sheesh. With the social media hashtags, best event ever, and Underworld Reunleashed. Thanks for listening, but as I'm risking burning my candle at both ends, I'm out. <laughs>